Thank you for listening to another inspiring message from the Movement Church. To find out more about the Movement Church, you can check out our website at theocmovement.com or follow us on Facebook and Instagram at The OC Movement. Hey, listen, you made it to the right service on the right Sunday at the Movement Church. We're so glad that you're with us. This is Palm Sunday. And uh, if you're brand new to church, uh, that's just a traditional holiday celebrating the triumphal entry of Jesus the week before he was crucified. And the entire city came out and just to say, Hosanna, which just means how awesome is our God. A week before he paid the debt for all humanity's sins. And today we're in the middle of a series called No Other Name, where we're doing a character study on Jesus. And the the crazy thing is we could literally spend years doing a character study on Jesus and never even scratch the surface of the fullness of who he is. But we're attempting to do that in just about four weeks. And so if you've missed the previous two weeks, you've missed everything. Uh, Make sure you get the podcast and listen back to hear what's going on and what we're talking about. We've been unpacking different components to who Jesus is. We started with talking about the anonymous, uh, the, the part of Jesus that happened between the ages of 12 and 30 and what was God doing in his life in that season. And then what was God or what does God want to do in the anonymous season of our life? Last week, my wife, Megan, got up here and just killed it with talking about the miraculous, how Jesus was a miracle, he did miracles, and he still is doing miracles. And today, we want to unpack the cross. In fact, the entire worship journey was gearing in that direction, the cross. It changed everything. I just want to read a couple of passages of scripture to you. If you're brand new with us, maybe somebody dragged you here and promised you a meal afterwards. Thanks for hanging out with us. Man, we're kind of crazy, passionate people. We like to move during the worship songs and uh, we like to get excited because we, God did something amazing for us. It doesn't mean we're weird. We're just passionate. And you get passionate at football games and concerts. So it's okay. We get it. You're a little bit crazy too, but we're glad that you're with us. And at the Movement Church, everything that we do, every sermon that is preached, every song that is sung is based upon the truth of God's word. And so what we do is we pull passages of scripture throughout a Sunday morning and we read what those have to say and see how it applies to our life. Because it is our true north, our compass. It is the word of God. The scripture says it's active and living, which means it's not just some archaic dusty book written thousands of years ago, but no, God's still speaking to us through it today. And today we just want to unpack a couple passages of scripture as we explore further who Jesus is and what he did. But can I just challenge you for a minute? I've literally been going to church my entire life. Uh, I I literally, like the week, I was born on a Sunday and the following week I was in church, okay? Uh, But I just know how easy it is to kind of punch in and punch out on a Sunday morning, but that would be a tragedy. Whether you're with us for the first time or you've been with us a million times, It'd be a tragedy if any of us, including myself, just kind of just sat in here, just kind of listened for a little bit and then walk out the door. I actually believe that the true and living God wants to do something radical in our lives right now. And we've got about 30 more minutes together. That's it. 
30 more minutes and then you guys get to go eat lunch or brunch because you're the early service. But Will, would you just do me a favor? Would you open your hearts to receive and your ears to hear what it is that God might be trying to do in each of us? Can we do that? Let me read a passage of scripture. It's a, quite a few, but it kind of sets the stage for where we're going. It's found in Mark chapter 15, verses 16 through 32. So it's a, quite a few verses. So roll with me. I'll try to make it as exciting as it possibly can. And the soldier... No, we won't do that. I'm kidding. <laughs> Thank you guys for laughing at me and not with me. Here we go. Verse 16. <laughs> and the soldiers led him away inside the palace. That is the governor's headquarters. And they called together the whole battalion and they clothed him in a purple cloak and twisting together a crown of thorns, they put it on him and they began to salute him. Hail, king of the Jews. And they were striking his head with a reed and spitting on him and kneeling down in homage to him. When they had mocked him, they stripped him of the purple cloak and put his own clothes on him. And they led him away to crucify him. And they compelled a passerby, Simon of Cyrene, who is coming in from the country, a father, the father to Alexander and Rufus, that's a name for the books, to carry his cross. And they brought him to the place called Golgotha, which means the place of the skull. And they offered him wine mixed with myrrh, but he did not take it. And they crucified him and divided his garments among them, casting lots for them to decide what each should take. And it was the third hour when they crucified him. And the inscription of the charge against him read, the king of the Jews. And with him, they crucified two robbers, one on his right and one on his left. And those who had passed by derided him, wagging their heads and saying, ah, you who would destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days. Save yourself and come down from the cross. So also the chief priests with the scribes mocked him to one another saying, he saved others and he cannot even save himself. Let the Christ, the King of Israel, come down now from the cross that we may see and believe. And those who were crucified with him also reviled him. Listen to this passage in Luke chapter 23, verse 33. And when they came to the place that is called the skull, there they crucified him and the criminals, one on his right and one on his left. And Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And they cast lots to divide his garments and the people stood by watching. But the rulers scoffed at him, saying, he saved others. Let him save himself. If he is the Christ of God, his chosen one. The soldiers also mocked him, coming up and offering him some sour wine and saying, If you're the king of the Jews, save yourself. There was also an inscription over him, the king of the Jews. In verse 39, listen to this. One of the criminals who were hanged railed at him, saying, Are you not the Christ? Well, he's the Christ. Save yourself and us. Verse 40. But the other rebuked him, saying, Do, not, do you not fear God? Since you are under the same sentence of condemnation, and we indeed justly, for we are receiving the due reward of our deeds, but this man has done nothing wrong. And he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus said to him, truly I say to you today, you will be with me in paradise. 
The title of my sermon today is called The Cross. Another title could be The Middle. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes as we pray? Heavenly Father, we thank you that you're here in this place, and we just pray that over the next 25 minutes or so that you would just do something radically different in our lives. We don't want to go home the same. We don't want to go home uh, with the same baggage, the same challenges. We want to go home in a different way, God, expecting you to do something miraculous in our lives. So God, we just open our hearts to you to hear and receive what you have to say. In Jesus' name I pray. And everybody said, amen. That just means I agree. Or I'm in, or man, the pastor's really good looking. All those are fine. Oh, you're with me this morning. Congratulations. Whenever I mock myself, that's when I get the most laughter. It's super encouraging. And there it is again. Congratulations. Man, we're glad that you're with us again. But let me ask, any of you out here by show of hands, any of you the oldest child in your family, would you raise your hand right now? Okay, any of you that are the youngest, spoiled kids, would you all raise? Oh, yeah, you can feel it. They're like, me, it's me. I'm the youngest and awesome. Now, how many of you are the chosen ones? How many of you are the middle child? Raise your hand. Yes, it's always, listen, I, I can even feel some scorn from the older. It's like, Psh, please. The middle child is always the most gifted and talented, shall I continue, brilliant and charming and good looking and never overachievers because they're all, right? There's nothing like being the middle child. I, of course, am the middle child. Uh, one of seven, actually. Seven kids with a 22-year span between the oldest to the youngest. Not a blended family, one family. My mom and dad like to make babies and have babies, okay? And uh, so, l- listen, when there's a 22-year gap, there was an eight-year gap between me and my, my closest sibling that was older. An eight-year gap. So I was the baby, literally, for a long time. And there's an eight-year gap between me and the closest sibling younger than me. Yeah, are you kidding me right now? So I was a baby for like eight years, and then this other punk kid comes along, right? And uh, it messes the whole thing up. So then I'm the middle child, the middle child for like 10 years, it felt like. I don't even know. It doesn't matter. And then the oldest moved out, and I was still at home. So guess what? I was the oldest child. That's why I think I'm so well-rounded. That's what I feel. No, I'm just messing around. Anybody anybody ever heard the jokes about being a middle child? As a middle kid, did you ever feel abused and neglected by your family? Don't raise your hand. It's okay. I just want to tell you, at the Movement Church, all middle children are welcomed and appreciated. (laughs) All oldest children, you have to go through a litmus test. We will haze you. It's going to be unfortunate, but... Uh, nobody really likes to be in the middle of very many things. The middle is never really a fun place to be. I think one of my least favorite things in the world is when I'm in the middle of a conversation and my children run up and interrupt me. Anybody love being interrupted? Oh, man, saw a show of hands. You're lying. That's okay. Nobody likes to be in the middle of anything. You, remember, you know, it's uh, always in the middle of the night that you wake up with some tragic thing happening. Uh, this morning I woke up because I was helping set up today and I was like, oh my gosh, I slept through my alarm and I threw back from my pillow. You know that thing you're like, <gasps> and you can't breathe and you're like starting to hustle to get ready and it was only 2 a.m. I was so ticked. <laughs> I was so, just interrupted my sleep in the middle of my sleep. And it's just like in the middle things get crazy. It's in the middle of cooking dinner that something challenging happens. Or maybe nobody wants to be in the middle of a crisis. No one does. You know, you're in the middle of the crisis. You've kind of started drudging your way into it. And now you're thinking, can I ever get out of this? You ever been in the middle of a financial crisis? It's challenging. Nobody loves to be in the middle. You ever been in the middle of grief? 
of mourning the, the loss of a loved one that is dear. Uh, my, my father passed away in April of last year, We're coming up on the anniversary, and nobody could have possibly explained to me what the pain of loss felt like, like the emotion that becomes so real it hurts, right? Nobody wants to be, you just want to move on. Let's just get past this thing. Let's get over it. We're, we're done with being in the middle. Nobody likes to be in the middle of a fight, right? In the middle of a fight, like you're thinking there's no end. You've both now erupted and you're arguing about something. You don't even remember what you started arguing about in the first place. And as a guy, you're only thinking, dang, I'm not going to get lucky tonight. I got to figure out how to change this right now. Don't, don't not laugh, guys, because you're sitting next to your spouse. Stop it. Stop it right now. Nobody likes to be in the middle of a disaster. Anybody like to be in the middle of an awkward situation? Anyone? No one does. Uh, anyone ever had secondary embarrassment where you get embarrassed for someone? Raise your hand. If your hand is not up, we've probably been embarrassed for you. Okay, like that awkward, like you don't know what to do. My cheeks get hot. I'll just put my head down and walk away. Because I, I, nobody likes to be in the middle of those scenarios. And yet what's interesting is that Jesus, who lived a sinless life and paid a sinner's price, hung in the middle of two thieves. And I think that's what's the most ironic scenario, but actually it's apropos because Jesus climbed into the middle of your mess and mine, right into the middle of it, and changed humanity forever. The cross did that. The picture of Jesus hanging between two, two thieves, one who is literally mocking him as he hangs on the cross as well, and the other who's saying, man, would you just extend grace to me because I know that you are innocent. Jesus crawled right into the middle of humanity's sin and paid a sinner's price after living a sinless life. Jesus crawled right into the middle, look him in the eyes for a moment, of your mess and mine, right into the middle. And there's some things that I pulled from this as we were, as I was preparing for this service. Four things I want to just share with you that that I pulled from Jesus crawling to the middle of humanity's filth and mess. Four things that I pulled that I thought, man, this ministered and really spoke to me. And I want to share those briefly with you. And I think I'll actually end early today. So you're welcome. And second service, I'm going really long. Cutting right into movie times. It's going to be good. Four things I pulled from Jesus crawling into the middle of our mess. He literally reached into the middle of our mess. He reached directly into the middle. And sometimes that feels romantic like he's kind of stepping in like oh it's okay like a good father would to a child who has a bum knee or a scrape on an arm and a good father brings in his child and sweeps him up and says oh it's going to be okay and sometimes that's the imagery like he went the distance or he came close enough to us that we could experience his love and his grace sometimes that's the imagery that we think about when we see jesus reaching into the middle of our mess but rarely is that the case because i've seen some of your mess and it's pretty jacked up no laughter there i've seen my mess it's pretty jacked up cue laughter go right are you attracted with me now you know, we had two dogs about 15 years ago, a, a black lab named Cadence, who was like an 85-pound uh, lap dog who thought she should just sit in your lap. And then we had this like little Sharpe pit mixture that was a beautiful little 45-pound attack dog. And, and we had them together from pups, and they loved each other. And then we got, Megan got pregnant, and we had to move into an apartment that did not allow us to have dogs. Everybody say, all. It was great. 
So we gave our dogs to someone on a temporary basis. Then a year later, we bought a home and those people called us up. I was like, dang it. Like, hey, you're ready to have your dogs back, right? I said, okay, fine. So we brought our dogs back and they were with each other for about two hours. And apparently in the process, they had forgotten that they used to love each other. They'd forgotten that they grew up together and were puppies in the same house. And within 15 minutes... This 85-pound black lab, this sweetest, most loving dog, and this 45-pound Sharpe pit mix, it was kind of sweet, decided they needed to have a demonic manifestation of a fight under our coffee table that had like a 12-inch clearance. And what came from that were the screams of a pterodactyl demon, like, like, I can't even, foam was spitting out. I think rabies just popped up on the scene. It was insane. And they were going at it like you could see blood on one of them. They were just destroying each other. And here I'm thinking, dang, I, I want to leave the house, but I've got to get those dogs out with a 12-inch clearance so I couldn't lay down. I literally had to get on my knees, close my eyes, grip my teeth, reach under, and hope I was grabbing something other than their mouth and yanked them out from underneath this table. So I reach in and I grab both of the naps of their necks and pull them out and I'm holding them. They're going like this whole thing right here and I'm holding them back going, Megan, come get this dog. It was insane and it scared me half to death. But listen, that's what some of the mess that we walk through is like. It's that intense. And Jesus reached right into the middle of it. Yes, he'll do it sweet like a good comforting father when you're walking through grief or crisis or loss. But sometimes your mess in mine is because we made stupid choices. And those stupid choices have collateral damage like the ripples of an earthquake. And man, those ripples are damaging. And Jesus, when he took the cross reached into the middle of that fight. He reached into the middle of your mess like that and my mess like that. Not just the sweet Jesus, but he said, I'm, re- I'm willing to risk it all and reach in to the midst of the mess that you're walking through. You don't have to go through this alone. Into the chaos and the filth and the corruption. Listen to what Romans, eight, uh, Romans 5 verses 6 through 8 says says this, and this is the message of translation. So this is Eugene Peterson's kind of paraphrase of the scripture. Listen to this. Christ arrives just on time to make this happen. He didn't and doesn't wait for us to get ready. He presented himself for this sacrificial death when we were far too weak and rebellious to do anything to get ourselves ready. And even if we hadn't been so weak, We wouldn't have known what to do anyways. We can understand someone dying for a person worth dying for. And we can understand how someone good and noble could inspire us to selfless sacrifice. But God put his love on the line for us by offering his son in sacrificial death while we were of no use to him whatsoever. The English Standard Version says that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. He reached into the middle of your chaotic mess and said you're worth it. Right into the middle of the mess. The second thing that I pull from this is that in the middle of your mess and mine, he got messy. 
He took on the sin and the shame of every poor choice that you or I or anyone throughout the course of history has ever made. He got messy in the process. A sinless, pure individual who took your mess and mine. He got messy in the process. Have you ever been around somebody that is sick? And you kind of do this whole thing like, hey, what's going on? Yeah, uh, right? Don't, why are y'all not laughing today? I'm a lot funnier than this. Let's get this show on the road. And, and you kind of slowly back away. Maybe you kind of do this whole thing or you blow that direction just to kind of keep the germs away. No, nobody does that? Awesome, thanks for lying in church. When my kids get sick, I'm like, get in your room, lock the door, we'll slide toast under the door to you, right? It's pretty challenging. It's terrible, but true. No, it's not really at all. When we get around somebody who's sick, we don't want to get sick, right? So we try to get away from them as far as possible. We won't shake their we're going to fist bump, right? And then we turn around and put hand sanitizer on as quickly as we possibly can. Yes, and amen. I know, you ladies, you have it in your purse. And guys, I know you know that they have it in their purse. Put that hand sanitizer on. If you could walk around with a mask on, you probably would. But you feel a little awkward and you don't want to be in that awkward moment. And it's different when it's our child, right? So especially for moms. Moms have this thing that they switch into another gear that they think my child is sick. They have strep or they have the flu. I haven't had a shot. There's a chance, a good chance. I'm probably going to get sick, but I'm going to go in the bedroom and I'm going to hold them. They're sick. And I, I know that I'm risking getting sick myself, but I'm willing to do that because it's my child. But you probably would not do that for a stranger. In fact, if you knew a stranger was sick, you wouldn't even talk to them because you don't need to. You don't have to. And what Jesus did is he walked right into the middle of our sickness, risking that illness. And in fact, in the process, when he died on the cross, what he took was the actual shame and condemnation of all humanity's sin. It was as if he had done every sin committed by all of humanity, including Hitler, Charles Manson, Isis. All of that he took on his shoulders. He got messy in the process. And sometimes it's easier to think about that, but he even took the most foul thought that you've ever had. The worst decision that you've ever made. And he got messy. And the cross, he crawled right into the middle of your mess and mine. Right into the middle of your mess and mine. I'll never forget, we, I worked at a church in Dallas and a, a, a guy walked in and, and he had been struggling with AIDS actually. He went from HIV positive to full-blown AIDS and was deteriorating his life and his body and everything like that. And so he's coming to church and he needs a walker for assistance. And right in the front of the lobby, right before service begins, he gets sick because of medication and he vomits in, in the lobby. And all of our, our custodians knew his health issues and they literally would not clean it up because they were so concerned about what would happen. And we were sitting there going, man, what are we going to do? And me and another pastor grabbed some stuff and cleaned that up and helped him get cleaned up and walked him into the sanctuary. And I think sometimes we don't realize the fullness of what Jesus did when he died on the cross and the fullness of the penalty of sin that he took on his back. Like I think about my life and the decisions that I've made and the poor choices that I've walked through, even though I was raised in church. And I think about like, if you can imagine what would happen if instead of a service, we actually just projected onto the screen every thought that you've ever had. You, you would not let a single person come in this room. 
You wouldn't even let your spouse or your parents come in this room. Because all of us have those things that we've struggled with. And he took that mess as if he was the one who had thought it or done it. I think we don't realize that sometimes. And he reached right into our mess. He didn't get shy like our custodians did, walked the other direction. He reached right into it knowing what he was going to incur, and he did. It's exactly what Jesus did. Look at what 1 Peter 2 says. He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but he continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. Verse 24. He himself bore our sins in his body and on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds, you have been healed. You know what the greatest part about Jesus is? In that moment, which spans eternity's time, he didn't see your mess. He saw you. He didn't see the filth and the poor choices. He saw you, an individual. And he said, you are worth it. I'll take the punishment. I'll take the rejection. You are worth it. That's the most beautiful part of this whole story. And that leads to the next point. That he made our mess beautiful. He made our mess beautiful. And I know that's not a masculine term, but just wrap your mind around it for a moment. He took the filth and the shame and the pain and the hurt, and he made it beautiful. He reached right into the middle of our mess, and he made it beautiful. Listen to this passage of scripture, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 16 through 20. It says this, this is the message translation again. Because of this decision, we don't evaluate people by what they have or how they look. We looked at the Messiah that way once and got it all wrong. As you know, we certainly don't look at him that way anymore. Now we look inside, and what we see is that anyone united with the Messiah gets a fresh start, is created new. The old life is gone. A new life burgeons, which just means it begins to grow and blossom. Look at it. All this comes from the God who settled the relationship between us and him and then called us to settle our relationship with each other. God put the world square with himself through the Messiah, giving the world a fresh start by offering forgiveness of sins. God has given us the task of telling everyone what he is doing. We're Christ's representatives. God uses us to persuade men and women to drop their differences and enter into God's work of making things right between them. Listen to this. We're speaking for Christ himself now. Become friends with God. He's already a friend with you. How, you ask? In Christ. God put the wrong on him who never did anything wrong so we could be put right with God. I love the idea of this, that he gives everyone a fresh start. 
And he doesn't just say that your past has disappeared. In his mind and in his eyes, it's as if it never happened. But we still have the remnants and the residue of our past, right? If you make poor choices, there are consequences that often will stay with you through the course of time. But what Jesus said is when I took the cross and I took your shame, I took your mess as well. And now the mess that's in your life no longer defines who you are. I took the punishment from that. So even though there's a residue and traces of mess in your life, now what it does is it paints a picture of how gracious and good I am. That's what God did when Jesus took the cross as his punishment. He made your mess and my mess beautiful. What he does, I love how the scripture says this, is he made you and me a representative for him. I love the imagery of the word representative. I immediately think of politics, someone who is nominated by a constituency of people. It says this individual will represent us when it comes to making laws. This individual will represent us when it comes to fighting for our freedom. This individual represents our heartbeat. This individual represents our mindset and our culture. And that's what God did for you and for me. Jesus reached into the middle of your mess. And he's shifting it into something beautiful and says, Now you represent me. There's no greater form of flattery. There's no greater form of honor than for him to say, your mess does not define you. My grace defines who you are. And now I make you my representative, which means that your story has power. Which means that your past doesn't have power over you, but it has power to liberate people around you. And the reason I say that, as we sing the songs today of Man of Sorrows... I'm literally moved to tears because of my own story, because of my own personal experience. And many of you have heard it before. Buckle your seatbelts. You're going to hear it again. I grew up in the church my whole stinking life. I know more Bible stories than anyone in this room. I promise you. I can name all the sons of every biblical character in the scripture. I have an amazing knowledge of who God is, but in my earlier years that had nothing to do with my relationship with him. I knew the form of Christianity. How to move during the fast songs and move during the slow songs and how to say, bless God, I'm good. God is good all the time, all the time. I know every lingo. I know all the church sayings. I know Christian jokes that you wouldn't even get because it's embarrassing. I had every Christian t-shirt. I can literally rap every DC Talk song that they have ever written. Many of you don't know who DC Talk is, and that's a blessing to you. (laughs) Literally, I've got four of them running through my mind right now. Man, on the inside, I was filthy. I knew how to hide everything that I wasn't supposed to do. Everything. And I'm not proud of that. I'm not at all, actually. Because what happened is a buildup of corrosive material was eating away at my character and integrity. And what I didn't realize 
chipping off pieces of my destiny. And all of these tiny little decisions of hiding things away and tucking things away led to one massive decision. A young teenager, an intern at a church, not married yet, but dating my current wife. And I got involved in a relationship with a married woman. And to this day, to this day, every Sunday when I walk up on this stage, I'm, the enemy is reminding me of the past that I've walked through. Every Sunday, every Sunday, I'm reminded of the mess on the inside from years and years ago. My decisions in that relationship destroyed that marriage. Nearly ended and terminated my relationship with the greatest woman that's ever been a part of my life. And what I felt was going to be the greatest disqualifier for what I do today. And this is my calling. I'm not doing this because I just absolutely want to. I'm doing this because I'm called to. Since I was five years old. And I thought it's going to be gone. But what God did is he reached into the middle of my mess by sending Jesus. And he came alongside and like a good father does and says, it's going to be okay. You're not the summation of your past. Slap me around, like, don't do that again. You know better than that. But why don't you just focus on being mine? And so I did. And what he did is work this amazing masterpiece to take my story with the filth and the shame and the condemnation. Imagine for a moment having that conversation with your mom. Worst day of my life. He took all of that right there. And he began to do a work on the inside to reform character and integrity. Brought in guys around that just kind of helped me know how to relive life and make the decisions that need to be made and pursue godliness with who I am. And each step along the way, He's molding this story that now I'm actually at liberty to say God is doing great work in my life. And I can share my testimony of where I've been. And it does not affect where I'm going because God took my mess and he made it beautiful. Made it beautiful. And that's what Jesus did on the cross for you. So you come into this building and... And every, every possible background and story and heritage walks through the doors. And each of you have your own testimony and story. And each of you can identify one or two or an entire book of things where you go, I wish this wasn't a part of my past. And what's so amazing about the cross is that Jesus said, even though it may be a part of your past, I want to be a part of your future. And he retells the story and he makes it beautiful. He reached into the middle. It got messy. He makes your mess beautiful. And here's the best part about it. He still wants to be in the middle of your life today. He wants to be in the middle of your life today. Christianity is not 
attending a church service. It's not saying I have a church home. It is not a heritage in which you are raised in. Christianity means I am a Christ follower. Everything in your past, God wants to use to be a representative to people in your future. That's the beauty of what Jesus did at the cross. He reached into the midst of your mess. He got messy himself. He's retelling your story to make it beautiful. And he still wants to be in the middle of your life. Let me just take a few moments to talk to some of you who are here today and maybe you're wavering in your faith, or you don't know where you stand with God. Maybe you are here for the first time. Maybe you've been coming to church with us for a hundred times, or you grew up in church. I don't actually care what your heritage today. If you're here and you say, man, I'm trying to connect with Jesus. I'm trying to connect with this relationship, but I feel like there's a gap, something that kind of puts the brakes on everything that I'm doing. Well, can I just challenge you that the Bible talks about that gap? It's called a sin gap. And sin tries to separate us from what God wants to do in our lives. And in fact, the Bible talks about a very sobering consequence for sin. It's death and an eternity in hell. Separation from God for eternity. But the cross changed that. Jesus took the punishment and the ransom for your sin and mine. And it's a gift to you. You can't get perfect. You can't erase your past. You can't change your heritage to receive. There's nothing you can do to earn this gift. It's just a free gift. All you have to say is, Jesus, I give you my life. And if you're here today and you've never made that decision, in a moment, I'm going to pray a prayer. We're not going to embarrass you, ask you to get out of your seat or even move. But before you leave today, if you've never made that decision, I want to challenge you right where you're seated. Just repeat the prayer after me in your own heart. Nobody has to hear you. And everybody look at me in the eyes for one minute. Some of you in this room today are messing around with your faith like I was so many years ago. And you may not realize it, but you're headed towards disaster. And today's the day to make a change. Today's the day to make a change. Why don't you just pray that prayer with us today? Make a recommitment to God right here in this place. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes? Nobody looking around, nobody moving. Heads bowed, eyes closed. If you're here and you've never prayed this prayer, just right where you're at in your own heart, would you repeat after me? And if you're here today and you've been running from God, today's the day to come back. Would you just repeat this prayer after me? A very simple prayer. Just say, dear God, I know that you're real, that you love me, that you've given me purpose. God, I've got sin in my life. I've got a mess. Would you forgive me? Thank you for sending Jesus to reach into my mess. Just all across this room, just if that you just make this statement in your own heart, just say, Jesus, I give you my life. 
In Jesus' name I pray. If you prayed that prayer with us today, we are so excited to be a part of this journey with you. Would you email us at info at theocmovement.com? And if you're not in the area, we would love to help you find another life-giving church near you. Send us an email at info at theocmovement.com and we'll get back to you shortly. Thank you again for listening to another inspiring message from the Movement Church.